Well, ladies and gentlemen, here we go with another great edition of Inside EMS. And today's EMS podcast is sponsored by FirstNet. Built with AT&T, FirstNet uses the latest technology to keep your lines of communication and data open to help you respond faster, smarter, and safer. And we are very, very excited for today's show. But I couldn't do it without my good friend, Kelly Grayson. KG, how are things going down there in world-famous Pitkin, Louisiana? Oh man, it's it's great. Uh, I had to I had to take the dog to to get groomed today, and and uh, the price of everything is going up. I think I'm gonna have to finance his dog grooming. Um, but he's a clean, fluffy, wolfy boy now. Shiny buck is. Really, <laughs> he can I get on know. the furniture now. <laughs> I didn't know that you speak dog. That was very interesting. That's right. That's right. I'm fluent in dog. Who's your good boy? Who's your good boy? Chris is a good boy. Yes, he is. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think um, let's transition really fast because this thing's going downhill really quickly. But um, off the rails. That's right. But Kelly, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we did the show on the work that I'm doing in the community paramedicine space. You know, we kind of talked about the different states and cities that are going to be part of the community paramedicine program, working with the uh, insurance payer that we talked about. Well, I had the opportunity this week to actually visit two systems. One was in Lexington, Kentucky. And right now the show is actually coming to you from Wausau, Indiana, as we prepare the system up here to be part of this uh, program as well. But I was very, very impressed with the Lexington system. They had some really great processes in place. They've been Mm -hmm. working since 2018, 2018. And I asked a couple of those medics and, and social worker actually to join us and I'm very excited to have them here, Kelly. First is Ken Howell. He is a lieutenant with the Lexington, Lexington Fire Department. He's also a paramedic. And uh, we're excited to have you here, Ken. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. And second is Mackenzie Gross. Mackenzie is, uh, she has a special, uh, a very special job with the Lexi- Lexington Fire Department, Kelly. She is actually hired into the community paramedicine program, but she's not an ENT and she's not a paramedic. She is actually a social worker who works as part of that program. And there's actually two social workers that are part of the community paramedicine program. Interesting. And uh, I got to tell you, man, she's got an interesting spin on the community paramedicine work that is going on uh, there at the Lexington Fire Department. But Mackenzie, I want to thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Thank you so much, Chris, for having me. Uh, so let me go and ask Mackenzie, let me ask you the first question. Since uh, I was very, very excited about your role in the fire department, in the community paramedicine program as a social worker. And, you know, when you think about this from the standpoint of social work, why, why is this position important to the community paramedicine transition, any community paramedicine program? Well, I think that the goal of community paramedicine in general is just shifting, shifting what we're doing to meet the needs of our community. And so I just think that delivering social work in this different way as well, meeting the communities, meeting the community's needs, we're able to deliver social service in a new way with that person-centered approach and meet people really where they are, which is the goal of community paramedicine as a whole, but it's also um, important as a social worker. That's interesting to, to hear that, 
that you have two social workers in your in your program and and I, it's uh it kind of illustrates the old saying that uh, if you've seen one EMS system you've seen one EMS system and I suppose if you've seen one community paramedicine program you've seen one community paramedicine program they really are um community uh and and individual needs driven um my question is for Ken Ken you're an experienced paramedic how long you been in the field been in the field for about a little over 7 years now Seven years. So you, you, uh, um, plenty of time to get your feet under you as a, as a field 911 paramedic. What was the transition like moving from, from that realm into community paramedicine? Big, uh, uh, big culture shock. Oh, absolutely. You think you know it all and you have <laughs> an idea about being able to solve everyone's problems. And then you quickly realize how little you know. Uh, and I say that because I'm even an adjunct instructor for the paramedic program. I like to think I have a pretty, pretty good understanding about you know, EMS in general, but community paramedicine, it is completely different. And it's, I say that because we would pick up patients and we would transport them to the hospital. And in the back of my mind, I know, well, I'm going to be here in about 72 hours to pick you up again, to take mm-hmm. you to the hospital for roughly the same thing. And I couldn't get over the fact, like, how, how are we going to break this cycle? How are we going to prevent uh, going from transporting this every 72 hours constantly? There's got to be something to, to, to fix what's going on. Yeah. So I quickly realized that there's a lot I don't know that goes on behind the scenes because you're only with that patient for maybe – 30, 40 minutes tops. You don't see everything that goes on with them on that time that you're not with them, that they may have issues with transportation. They may have issues with their medications, um, medical understanding, education, um, mental health, dealing with substance abuse. There's so many things we don't see from that limited time we are there But with community paramedicine, when you get to spend a little bit more time with them, you start to understand oh, okay, that's why you may be calling more frequently. That's why you need these repeat visits to the emergency room because there are things going on here that can't just be fixed in 30 minutes and just taken to the ER. So understanding that has opened my eyes to exactly how important community paramedicine is and really made me have to check my ego to say, wow, there is so much that you just do not know. You know, Ken, I think you bring up a really great point when you talk about that, because, you know, we we do get very judgmental from the EMS side, you know, especially to say, why are you calling us so much? Oh, yeah. But not to understand the the challenges, the social determinants of health that are keeping people from getting healthy. I mean, Kelly and I talk about this all the time. This isn't this isn't a healthcare system. This is a get to the next appointment system. Right. So now when we spend time with people. We now are able to, you know, help people to really work through and navigate the healthcare system to start to get better. And Mackenzie, I guess we can go back to you. When we think about it from a social work standpoint, I mean, one of the reasons that I said I wanted to have you on this show is we were kind of talking back and forth about, you know, when you were a student in your program and we were talking about the theories that you had to learn and you were like, there's no way that I'm going to need this or whatever it was that we said together. But now that you're working in the field, you're like, oh, my gosh, I can see how all these, you know, social work theories are fitting together. 
What do you think is the biggest lesson you learned as a social worker? Because you gotta, you gotta admit, being you know being in the field and working with these patients has got to be a hundred percent different from sitting in child protective services or adult protective services with the with the files of bureaucracy sitting on your desk. What do you think is the biggest lesson you've learned? Well, I'm, I will say there is a lot of lessons that I have learned in my time with community paramedicine. Um, one of them, going back to those theories like we were talking about, when you're sitting and reading about something from a book um, or being lectured about it, you don't truly realize. Um, the one that we were talking about the other day was the systems theory. Um, and what that does, it really takes a holistic approach to a problem. It looks at the environment, like kind of how Ken was saying, you're looking at the environment, you're looking at the community, what resources they have, um, and the bigger picture of what's at play. What are their social, what are, what is their social um, circle like? Who are their support systems? Um, so I think for me, when I was learning about that theory in class, I was like, okay, I, I understand. But when you actually get out on the field, out in the field, and when I've been meeting these patients, I see how much truly is at play with their lives and how much plays into the outcomes and the success for them um, to live independently and to be successful in navigating the healthcare system and all of that. So that's definitely been a big takeaway for me is just seeing all that's really all these wheels in motion and how important they are. Um, and then also just knowing, like we talked about, I'm not an EMT, I'm not a paramedic, so I don't know everything about medication and I don't know how to navigate the hospital system perfectly by any means. Um, and so being able to get a perspective of a paramedic that does know what medications are for what and what the history uh, for the patient is as far as their um, kind of their physical needs, uh, that's been really helpful because it all plays a role in that patient's life. You know, Ken, uh, earlier you had, uh, you had said that you, you didn't know what you didn't know. And uh, I, I've always likened uh, paramedic and EMS education to being like a well, you know, about 10 feet wide and 100 feet deep, uh, whereas nursing education is more like a lake and, and uh, medicine uh, for physicians is like an ocean. So now that you're out into those bigger and deeper waters, aside from just the, sh the shift in mindset, the, seeing how many different moving parts there are to healthcare, what taxed your, uh, your abilities and knowledge the most? What, what kind of new skills and, and knowledge did you have to bring, uh, had to, to beef up on uh, to be able to do your job? Probably knowing all of the community resources that are available um, for the clients that we serve. Because like in the EMS field, we are taught many different things, whether it's cardiology, um, neurology, um, trauma, things like that. And like I said, it's, it's a well. But when we're talking about connecting people with the resources, it, there are so many resources out there, but you just got to find out which one they need. Um, do they need a way of transportation? Do they need... Um, uh, mobility aids, lift assist devices? Do they need more education? Do they have a means to uh, get their medications? Do they know all the options that are available to them? Do they understand things like telehealth, things like that? The biggest thing 
that I've had to expand my my knowledge on my knowledge on is like I said, just knowing all the resources that are available and meeting the patient where they are and understanding that they may not have the answer either. And we're going to find the answer out together. Gotcha. So you're uh, as a community paramedic, you're you're just as much facilitator and troubleshooter as you are a healthcare provider. Oh, absolutely. We're going to figure this out together. Whatever you can't figure out, I'll find out. If I don't have the answer, we'll find out the answer. I'll find out somebody that has that answer. So like going back to what I was, my coworker, um, Patrick says, he goes, we are not the answer. We are not the the solution, but we are the facilitator to try to find the, uh, the solution for you. I think that that's a good philosophy. And when you think about it, you know, and I think that there's a lot of things that we learn from the different programs as I get to go around the United States and talk about, you know, how you're going about your business. And, you know, Mackenzie, I've mentioned that, you know, having social worker, two social workers actually in the program is something that is relatively unique. You know, we want to have one, but your program has two. Can you give us a little bit, maybe your favorite story uh, without certainly violating any HIPAA, but your favorite story of what you've done for, um, you know, the, the clients that you serve that you were able to uh, get done for them um, from a social work standpoint that will give uh, maybe the other community paramedics out there a little bit of lesson in uh, consider this when you're dealing with your clients and customers. Yeah, so one story that comes to mind, um, actually last summer, me and our colleague that Ken was just talking about, Patrick, were out and we were going to do um, an assessment with the homeless intervention and prevention team that we have here in Lexington. And we just so happened to come across another individual uh, that we make a lot, we made a lot of frequent um, runs on. And he also was experiencing homelessness. And so we know that it can be difficult to find those individuals um, because they're not always in the same location. And so they can be uh, more difficult to engage with. And in this instant, we we just came across him by happenstance um, and we got to talking with him. And he just told us repeatedly, um, no one can help me. No one listens to me. And I mean, he frequently went to the hospitals. He had frequent ambulance calls he kind of was in that revolving door. Um, and, you know, we asked him uh, if he wanted to participate in a substance use treatment, um, if he wanted to go to a substance use treatment facility. And he just kept telling us that he couldn't. And what we didn't understand um, was why he couldn't. Because, you know, we hear that a lot um, when individual individuals don't want to receive these services. And, you know, we respect that, but he kept telling us that he, um, he could not because something was wrong with his insurance and he just couldn't. So the solution that we always had for him was going to the hospital, going to the ER, um, for the substance use and then getting discharged back to the street. Uh, once we were able to actually sit down and talk with him and call Medicaid for him, we were able to realize, um, that he was actually never officially discharged from a nursing facility and he actually could not go to treatment because his insurance was essentially tied up with this nursing facility. Um, And so we were able to work through that 
um, and get in contact with the nursing facility, just trying to figure out, you know, if he had a place to go. And what had happened was he got transported to the hospital ER and they discharged him back to the street and set it back to the nursing home. Um, And no one, and this had been a couple months after this had happened when we made contact with him and no one had had the opportunity to take the time and sit down with him and actually hear his story. One thing that I think we see a lot um, is just sometimes you get jaded by um, what you think you know. You think you know this individual's story. You think um, sometimes with substance use, there's just a stigma that they don't want to get better. They don't want to seek those recovery resources. Um, And I think in this instance, it just took a couple hours. And when I say a couple hours, I mean a whole day um, to sit down and figure out the root cause of what was going on, why he couldn't seek a different treatment option and why he was that revolving door for, you know, our system and our hospital. Yeah. How's that for a story? Right. So yeah. this guy belongs in a nursing home. He's admitted to a nursing home, Kelly. He, uh, you know, gets discharged to the street and they're still paying the nursing home. For That's what care. I'm about. That's what I'm thinking, man. Here's here. You know? being dated. Is the nursing home still billing for somebody that's not there? Ugh. You know, but, you know, obviously <laughs> it was obviously happening, as Mackenzie said, because yeah. nobody else would touch him because he was supposedly getting taken care of somewhere else. But anyway. Let's go ahead and go to our mid-show read. Go ahead and give us the break, Kelly, and then we'll come back with more questions for Mackenzie and Ken. Let's do it. Everyone in EMS deserves a reliable communication network like FirstNet, built with AT&T. Your fellow public safety professionals at more than 19,500 agencies nationwide rely on FirstNet to make sure they have the connectivity and data they need to care for patients. And FirstNet is now offering increased coverage in rural and tribal areas. So whether you're looking for an individual plan or an agency-wide solution, you can join FirstNet and check out their limited-time special offers at FirstNet.com. Uh, Mackenzie, that's the kind of story, you know, every every provider likes to hear. Uh, we, we we find out early on in EMS, if, if you, uh, you're you not coming from the profession, uh, don't know the background, but everybody gets into EMS thinking they're going to save a life uh, at least once or twice a shift, right, Ken? <laughs> And then you find out that you're a, a troubleshooter uh, and, and you just try to make people's day a little bit better. Uh, and and uh, you, you learn to treasure the small victories and that sort of thing. So, um, Ken, the, the question I have for you is something that, that uh, struck me when, when uh, uh, McKenzie was talking, homeless intervention team. Now, uh, that's something unique that I, I haven't heard a lot about. What kind of patients uh, specifically is your program geared toward? Uh, what were the, the needs that you saw in your community that your community paramedicine uh, program was structured to address? Well, we have like a, a multidisciplinary team that we work off with. We have three uh, firefighter paramedics. We have a, uh, a police officer that works with us and with addition to the two social workers. So we receive referrals from all different uh, agencies in our community um, and the patient range is, it's a wide variety. Um, some of the um, clients that we, we deal with are people uh, that are experiencing homelessness. Um, also those that are experiencing substance abuse disorder. And we receive referrals from the fire department, police department, are those that are, are we call them our, our high utilizers or our super mm-hmm. utilizers people that will call and utilize EMS 
um, upwards of 10 to 20 times uh, in a calendar year. And those are the uh, clients that we uh, call back on and we try to make contact with to see what we can do to, to help them out and to assist them along their way. The, it's, it's not the goal is to say, okay, um, please stop calling 911. Thank you. Goodbye. That is definitely not what we're here, what we're here for. We're here for to improve the community and improve their lives overall. And the nice thing is we are not bound by time restraints because like I was saying earlier, when you're on the ambulance, when you show up to somebody's house, it is, okay, what do you need? Okay, let's fix it right here. Let's get you to the hospital. Now we have time to slow down, to figure out what the patient needs, what they're, um, what they're battling, what their, um, what their biggest difficulty or obstacle is, and fix it. Whether, like I said, it's homelessness, substance abuse disorder, um, uh, establishing primary care, uh, issues with transportation, issues with um, with uh, food and things like that. Yeah, I mean, and I think when we think of the crux of a community paramedicine program, I think the one thing that Ken said there that I don't want to gloss over because it was very, very quick, we get to spend more time with them. Yeah. And we're able now to really understand their focus. You know, Mackenzie, I, I want you to touch on uh, something else that Ken said. You know, he talked about that he, you have a detective with the Lexington Police Department that's part of your team. I mean, how did that, how did that work out? So when we go back to um, the original concept of our community paramedicine program, we were focusing on those high utilizers um, as Ken touched on. And as we started working with those high utilizers, we came to realize that the EMS high utilizers were also um, a lot of those high utilizers for the police department. And so we kind of worked our way up and talked with the chiefs talked <laughs> and decided that the police department here wanted to have a detective on our team full time that could work with their high utilizers um, since they, we do see a lot of overlap. So we sometimes see a referral from someone on an engine or a buggy and our detective Christy gets a referral about the same exact individual because, you know, when someone's on scene, there's oftentimes police and fire uh, on scene at the same time. So we're kind of able to get two different perspectives and we're also able to work with individuals um, that are high utilizers of both entities. So I think it's kind of mutually beneficial um, for our program and for our city. And I got to tell you, man, this is, yeah. you want to talk about um, having a, a, a program that sets the standards for others to follow. I mean, one of the things that we try to do, Kelly, is we try to really get our resources from the community. Yeah. We really try to get our resources from the medical community for making the best opportunities possible for these people that we're trying to serve. And they went ahead and got a detective to be part of this yeah. program. I don't know that anyone else has done that. And, and certainly if your program has that resource, we want to hear about your program because you're setting the standards for others to follow as well. Um, but man, how just cool is that? That is, that is way cool. I am more and more intrigued by uh, every time I listen to these guys talk about learning more about this program. And I think it uh, illustrates uh, what's going to make programs sustainable is, is the collaborative approach and the multidisciplinary approach. They don't, they don't have a program uh, there. They have a system 
And that's what's going to be sustainable uh, long term is that you have a system that, that the rest of the community is bought into. And speaking of buying into, Ken, this is this is uh, something I was always curious about. Um, how has the rest of your EMS system, uh, the non-community paramedicine uh, members, how have they bought into the system? Are they skeptical? Uh, are they loving it? Uh, you Are you reducing their burden, making their lives easier? Um, uh, do you have a line of people waiting to sign up to participate in your program? Well, the good thing about our system is when it first came out, I think just about everybody was skeptical because they just, you know, they just didn't know it about community paramedicines. Like what, what yeah. is, and when a little background with our, with our agency, we were on a steady incline of EMS volume, increasing 5%, 10% year in and year out. And it was just like any other system across the United States. It was not sustainable. Something had to change. Something needs to be worked out because yeah. this path we're going on, it, it's not sustainable, like I said. So with community paramedicine getting involved, we after the first year, we finally started to see a change in the direction of the volume of our EMS runs. It, it didn't increase slowly. It actually decreased over the previous year. Really? With that being said, if you were skeptical then, and then you look a year later, then nobody's skeptical anymore. They realize, wow, this is working. And we have a system where um, the guys and girls online, they can send us an inquiry request that, hey, this individual, sounds like they need some assistance. Can you all check in on them? And then we follow up with them and we try to figure out what they need, what they're, um, how we can help out and go from there. So pretty much everybody on the department has bought in and they, they love what we do. And as time is going on, more and more people are buying in and we are getting more and more support from the, the people online. And it's, it's good because they're getting the word out amongst themselves, but also the community members, the, uh, the citizens of the community, they're starting to understand who we are and the difference and the impact that we're making on the community because they see us driving around, mm -hmm. they see, us, uh, see do, us doing what we're doing, and they start to recognize, wow, they really do care about their community. They're making it a better community, and they're really caring about those that need um, a little bit more assistance or they need some resources. Yeah. I mean, changing a heart one visit at a time, Ken. So as we're getting up there in time, this is going to be my last question to you, Mackenzie. And, you know, social work is something that community paramedics are having to do. I mean, we talk about it all the time that we do probably 10 or 15% medical and the rest is really social, right? We work and with without the training. <laughs> exactly. So that, that was actually my question is going to be to her. So for the paramedics, the community paramedics that are out there that don't have the background in social work, could you give them just a little bit of inspiration or a little bit of a, a tip or two to say, when you're in this role, think about this or do this or consider this, because this really is the crux of what community paramedicine is all about. Yes. So I love what Kelly just said about untrained. Um, that's something that our program always jokes about is the paramedics when they first started being untrained social workers. One thing that we have talked about a lot within our program is just 
respecting that client's right to autonomy. That's one of the ethical values of social work. And what that is, is that people have the right to make their own decisions and to live the way that they see fit for them. And so instead of going in with the approach that you want to, you maybe think you know what's best for them and you want to tell them what they should do. But a big part of it is getting that client, building that relationship and getting that client to be motivated to change for themselves. One training that our team did this year that I think we benefited from a lot, a lot and something that Maria and I, the other social worker, um, learned in our master's program is something called motivational interviewing. And I think that that is a good piece of information that pretty much anyone could benefit from in inspiring change in other people and motivating them to do things for themselves and to, you know, have more successful outcomes. And I would say that that would be a really great thing for anyone to look into, especially people that are getting into community paramedicine. Awesome. Motivational interviewing. That's something I'll have to have to look into. Um, guys, I want to thank you both for coming on the show. I, I think we've had a great discussion and, and some insight into what is obviously a model community paramedicine program, uh, a system uh, that's doing it right and, and filling the gaps in their community and, and uh, meeting the highest standards of, of what EMS should be, recognizing a need in your community and, and being proactive to fill it. And we'd like to thank you once again for coming on the show. But that's what I think. We've heard what Chris and Mackenzie and Ken think. We'd like to hear what you think. What are you most proud of about your community paramedicine program? We'd like to hear your thoughts at the show at ems1.com. And for myself and co-host Chris Sabalero and our two special guests from Lexington Fire Department Community Paramedicine Program, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week.